If you're ready to take your destiny into your own hands, you've come to the right place. This is the Bulletproof Entrepreneur, featuring interviews with the most exciting and amazing entrepreneur. Here's your host, Chi Odogu. This episode is brought to you by Odogu.com, where you need to find high-quality leads from Facebook and Instagram. There's only one name to call and one man to trust. That's O-D-O-G-W-U.com, the growth marketing guy. If you love today's episode, please feel free to go on iTunes and like the show and leave a review and a comment in iTunes. I'm talking to Felina Hansen. So Felina is a serial entrepreneur and a world-renowned marketing consultant. From running some small side hustles to earn some spending money in her preteen years, she rose to become a marketing director in a mid-sized technology company. She was fortunate enough to get fired three times before turning 30, after which she turned her back to the corporate world of pay. She launched an independent marketing consulting firm where she helped small business entrepreneurs with their marketing strategy and coach them on how to implement their marketing programs. In the course of doing this work, she noticed an opportunity in the co-working industry and decided to start Hera Hub, which is a shared co-working space that caters to female entrepreneurs. I'm pleased to have her on the show today to discuss her entrepreneurial journey and share some words of wisdom with you guys. So, Felina, with that said, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. All right. So um, before we get into me asking you about your background, I read your book and right here on the second page, there's only one thing which I kind of took a little bit of exception about because it says here, it's a must read for every woman who's thinking of launching a business. And I think that's not true. I think it's a must read for anyone who's thinking of launching a business. So I was a little bit offended about that, but I'll, but I'll let you slide because I know you're talking to your niche and you know your customers very well. But I think it's a pretty good book that anyone thinking of starting a business, especially in these um, fast moving times in the 21st century where things are changing so rapidly you need to well, thank get, you. <laughs> get the knowledge so tell us a little bit about yourself and your background yeah as you alluded to in the intro um, um i i got lucky i got laid off three times by the age of 30 uh two of the companies i worked for sold and one ran out of money and uh that's that's kind of par for the course in the world of uh, startups, of course. Um, so nothing new. I'm sure your listeners, many of them have probably been through similar situations. Um, and that was really, you know, the, the impetus to launch my business. It wasn't that I had a genius idea. It was that I really wanted to, you know, control my own destiny and build something of my own instead of building somebody else's dream so I started a company called Perspective Marketing, um, which I had for eight years. And I also, like a lot of entrepreneurs, did uh, a number of other things, including teaching college uh, for that eight-year period of time at a, a university and then also a, a fashion institute. And uh, ended up stepping into some leadership roles with some professional women's organizations that specifically focused both on helping women in developing nations launch businesses through microcredit loans. And also locally, I worked with about 300 female aspiring female entrepreneurs here in Southern California to help them launch their business through an organization called ladies who launch, um, quite appropriate. Mm -hmm. And so, um, all of that really came together in 2010 when I kind of hit a wall as far as creativity in my own business. Um, just felt isolated and, um, was frankly overworking kind of for myself, by myself, I missed having a sense of community in my work specifically. And so I started to look at this new emerging world of what's now being referred to as co-working spaces and found that there were a few great spaces out there um, at the time, but they tended to be targeted at a, a bit of a different audience. Uh, I wasn't their target customer. Um, a lot of the spaces skewed towards technology, which is awesome. 
Um, but they also skewed a little bit younger in demographics. I would go to a space and, you know, there'd be, you know, foosball tables and beer keg and ping pong tables and, uh, you know, some of the accoutrements that uh, some people want to work around. Um, and that's great, but it wasn't my tribe, so to speak. And so I started doing some research around this uh, world of co-working spaces and eventually decided to build one myself. How did it feel like the last time? I know like when you got fired the first time, it must have been like, okay, this happens to people. And then, you know, you, you try, you get another job and those companies... Whether they folded up or they were sold, that's not really your fault. But like the third and final firing, was it as a result of the company letting you go or being acquired? And if so, um, what what was the feeling you had inside that you now resolved to take your own destiny into your own hands? Yeah, so um, I, I didn't actually get fired. I got laid off, so oh, yeah. a slight difference. Okay. Um, Sorry. <laughs> <nothing> I, <laughs> that's okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was the first time it happened. I cried, to be honest, <laughs> right in front of my boss. I, was, I had just gotten married. I was 24 years old. I, you know, just had never been through anything like that. The company uh, it was a technology recruiting firm and they sold to another company in Northern California. And, you know, oftentimes when a company is being absorbed like that, there's duplication in regards to marketing and other, um, you know, aspects of the company operations. And so it was simple. Basically, it was, you know, we're absorbing this company and we're only taking, you know, the recruiters in this case. Um, and so that that was also the case in my last uh, role where I was director of marketing. The company sold to America Online in 2003. And it was one of those situations where they basically took a few of the engineers that had built this uh, technology platform that we developed. But again, they didn't need marketing folks. They didn't need book, you know, accounting and, you know, some of the other functions that obviously they had in-house. So um, it was frustrating, uh, certainly, to say the least. But that third uh, experience really woke me up. And so that... Uh, to your point, I said, you know what, I have a better chance on my own building my own brand and model and and really doing what I'm passionate about on my own terms as opposed to going to work for somebody else and having this happen again. And uh, let me also point out, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. Both my parents are entrepreneurs and uh, I grew up in kind of a rebellious environment, if you will. That's uh, part of the title of my book um, in a definitely unconventional way, if you will. And so um, it wasn't uh, foreign to me to go out and, you know, kind of pave my own path as opposed to working for somebody else. Mm, yeah. And we'll talk about your background growing up on um, this quiet little town in California <laughs> where you had a lot of animals and whatnot. So that happens, and then you started your own marketing consulting firm. Now, how did you get your first clients? Yeah, through networking. When I when I initially went out on my own, I knew that I needed to start to meet people, basically, because when I was you know, working for somebody else that my clients were uh, CNN and USA Today and LA Times and, you know, companies all over the country. I didn't need to be out meeting people locally. And so I started doing just that. And, and marketing is a hot topic, right? A lot of business owners struggle with it. And mm -hmm. so it was relatively easy to start to engage with what ended up being over the course of the eight years, um, relationship driven companies, meaning they grow their business typically through referrals and relationships that they have with clients in their community, as opposed to consumer products or things of that nature. And that's served me really well because the company I built now with Hera Hub is very relationship based. And uh, so I carry a lot of that experience um, over the course of the eight years that I had my prior business into my current company. Mm, great, great. So the cover of your book has a uh 
photo of a peacock. Now, <laughs> you started your entrepreneurial journey selling peacock feathers. Tell us a little bit about your background growing up in the uh, kind of like the little house on the prairie, as it were, in California. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely was that for sure. Um, and complete with my mom building a barn in the backyard <laughs> to house many of the animals. Uh, so, yeah. I, uh, unlike some kids who have uh, lemonade stands, I had a peacock feather (laughs) uh, stand, if you will. So we, as you noted, had a a number of animals growing up, um, all the way from, you know, horses to peacocks to later on um, even tigers for a period of time in our backyard. But... uh, (laughs) Uh, we did have a mating pair of peacocks, and Mr. Peabody uh, <laughs> was the gentleman peacock who, of course, shed his feathers every fall. And I ambitiously went around the yard, picked him up, walked down to the corner store, and sold him for a buck a piece, and walked away with 80 bucks in my pocket at age eight. Uh, so my first taste of uh, entrepreneurial success came pretty early. Mm. So, were you waiting every summer for Mr. Peacock, or did you like sometimes in the winter just try and like you know pluck out some little feathers? <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily they fall out naturally every fall. He was pretty mean guy there, being mean bird, so he wouldn't even let me come close to him. So, no, I luckily I didn't have to uh, <laughs> follow him around. Okay, so now you do that, and then I. I read here, you know, your your parents happened to split up while you were really young. And then in the course of um, them remarrying, you, you get like a bigger family. You know, you go from just only you to about what, eight kids. Eight, eight brothers and sisters. Eight yeah. And sisters. <laughs> now, the interaction around like I only have one, two siblings, so I don't know what, what it's like to have <laughs> eight siblings running around the house or running together so what was that like and what were some of the lessons you learned growing up in such an environment because I'm I'm sure you both have gotten some lessons from having so many people and basically having to almost compete for resources (laughs) yeah it's a great question um it, it was an interesting path so the first nine years of my life being an only child and then within a period of a couple years through uh, step brothers, half brother, half sister, and then my mom adopted four children. So in a quick period, I went from zero to eight, if you will. And uh, I would say the thing that comes to mind is adaptability, Mm -hmm. Um, being able to, you know, adapt to almost anything. Plus, I was, um, you know, going back and forth between parents, as um, a lot of folks have experienced. And so, Um, Being kind of shuffled around, moving around a bit um, made me um, definitely adaptable. And and also, um, I'm trying to find the right word exactly, but resilient maybe is is the word I would use in regards to just being able to take on a situation and, and, um, you know, get through it and have a good attitude in the process, hopefully. So... Um, it was it was a great journey, and I'm I'm lucky to now you know have such a large family and many many nieces and nephews now as well because of it. <laughs> yeah, and that resilience seemed to have come true because while you were somewhat near graduate, graduation from college, you were in a very nasty accident in which you had to spend almost six months trying to recuperate. So tell us a little bit about that experience and um, you know, what some of the lessons, because I know you, you have a very varied background, as it were. So I'm sure living through something like this is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Not that I'm saying it's um, a good thing, but you, you seem to have bounced back using this um, resilience that you just initially mentioned and then applied that resilience to you know learning how to walk again and how to basically move forward because the doctors told you you'd never run again and you were a runner at up mm-hmm. until that point correct yeah exactly 
Yeah. And um, I'm proud to say that uh, since the car accident took it was about five years after I was able to, I ran one additional marathon. Um, I, I probably wouldn't run <laughs> another marathon um, just given the toll that that had on my body at the time. But um, I'm now running half marathons. I try to do one a year. So, um, so yes, it, an amazing amount of perspective um, was hit by a fire truck and uh broke many, many bones in my arms, legs, and face. And, uh, you know, being so young, I got lucky because, you know, the body bounces back, Mm. you know, much easier than it does um, later in life. And I also had some amazing doctors that were, you know, able to kind of put me back together again, if you will. Um, But coming through that, I mean, I just can't imagine somebody not feeling like I did, which is lucky, right? I'm lucky to be here and and being able to take that opportunity to reflect and say, all right, I'm here for a reason. (laughs) Let me see if I can figure that out. And um, also, too, the appreciation that that's given me for you know, not sweating the small stuff, if you will. Um, And as an entrepreneur too, now for the last close to 14 years, being able to take things in stride and say, you know what, (laughs) nobody died. It's going to be okay. (laughs) You know, we can work through this and figure it out. Um, So I feel blessed, uh, honestly, that, that I was able to have that experience at a pretty young age. Yeah. And you go from that experience. I mean, there are a lot of stories in here. That I think the one I want to cover before we move on into Hera Hub is uh, basically your stint with the uh, Mexican mafia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> so what was that about? I know. So I had, right after college, I lived in Los Angeles for six years, worked up there, and um, it was after that second layoff that I moved back to San Diego, and this was in 2001. This is, um, as um, I'm sure you remember, the economy <laughs> took a big nosedive um, at that point with uh, what, what's now called the you know tech bubble being burst, if you will. So... I really had a hard time finding a job. And at the time I was married, my um, now ex-husband was and is an artist and uh, was good at spending money, but not making it. And so I had to really hustle to support us. And so I, uh, through a childhood friend, found an opportunity to work for a financial management firm doing marketing for some of their clients is what I was told. But uh, What ended up happening is their clients were, the gentleman I worked for was from Mexico City, and his clients were, by and large, um, in Mexico, close to Mexico City. And um, what I found out later is um, there was a bit of fraud happening. (laughs) Some of his clients were committing fraud, and then he, in turn, was committing fraud um, on top of what some of his clients were doing. And, uh, you know, to 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 you know the Mexican mafia I don't know exactly you know what layer we're talking about here but it, it was definitely um, tied to in some way shape or form and uh, the gentleman I ended was working for went to jail for quite some time um, and everything fell apart so it's funny because if I count that experience I was only there for six months before the whole thing imploded I guess you could say that was my fourth <laughs> layoff that I don't even talk about because it was just I mean it was the whole thing was just ridiculous once I got underneath what was going on I'm like oh my goodness how did I get involved in this so uh, moved on as quickly as possible from that. Yeah, and I'm glad you did. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's dive into um, Hera Hub and talk about this business of yours that you started not quite um, six years ago. So what was the big, yeah, I know you mentioned it a little bit earlier. So what was the big um, opportunity that you supported apart from the fact that most of the co-working spaces were only dealing with tech companies. Um, did what was the main thing that you noticed that women were looking for that they didn't have in terms of um, 
space yeah, to work and Yeah, collaborate. it was two things. Yep, it was two things. Definitely collaboration was one of them. Um, being able to be in a space with like-minded individuals who were perhaps at the same stage of life, shared some of the same um, you know, attributes in regards to experience and goals, um, and, and being in an environment that was a, a true learning environment, uh, as I mentioned, I taught college for eight years, and I, I love, love education. I love teaching. I love developing new programs, new ideas, and I'm doing it constantly. And so being able to create an environment that where I can, you know, not only create some of that content and curriculum, but also build a platform for our members, which is what we've done to share their experience with each other. So we don't bring in outside mentors. We really look at getting the, you know, members that can contribute to the community and share their expertise back into the community. Um, And so it's not only the collaboration and education and community building aspects that are so, so strong, but it's also the environment itself. So it's a spa inspired workspace. Um, There's running water and candles and soft music and nice lighting. And um, it just it has a professional feel, but yet a soft uh, kind of feel to it. So um, both of those things tied together really have been such a critical reason why we've been successful um, because it's not just space. Um, It's so much more than that. It's um, what would I call it aesthetics or environment? Yep. Okay. Exactly. uh, So when you started building this, what were some of the challenges you faced launching this business? Yeah, well, first off, I couldn't even get space. <laughs> um, it was my first foray into uh, commercial real estate, and I had really no experience in what it took to secure a lease. So it took me close to a year to even secure our first uh, location lease. And um, that was frustrating, <laughs> certainly, because I had the idea, I was ready to go, and couldn't find space uh, really um, in an area that was desirable and meeting the requirements and cost structure and things of that nature. So I was finally able to do that and launch the first location in 2011. And I really wanted to, with this business, when I was developing the idea, build something that was bigger than myself, Mm. Uh, build something that could be um, scalable, so to speak. And so Um, really from day one, building systems um, into what we were doing and thinking about the business of, okay, if I want to open a second location, how do I do that? How do I systemize what we're doing? And so um, we pretty quickly, my first hire was an operations person because, again, I'm a marketing girl and don't, you know, always think in those systematic terms. And so, Um, We did open a second location just a little over a year later in October 2012, and then I went on to open a third location uh, less than a year later in July 2013, all in Southern California, just to get to that point of building it and breaking it and building it again so we could really, you know, put things under a stress test before we decided to expand. Hmm. Okay. So um, one thing I got from what you just said now is you wanted to build something bigger than yourself. So wh- why were you thinking of like creating a legacy so, so early in your life and in, in the business? Yeah, um, you know, I really, I'm so, so passionate about entrepreneurship now that I've been an entrepreneur and grew up in that entrepreneurial environment. So just being passionate about creating opportunity for other people. And that's part of the reason I wrote the book as well is we had so many people showing up on our doorstep or people connecting with me through LinkedIn or Facebook or a variety of channels that uh, were frankly asking for advice in regards to how to, how could they, as I like to call it, lean out, get out of their you mm-hmm. know corporate chains, if you will, and start their own business. And that's not an easy question to answer. I mean, there's a lot that goes on, you know, in regards to where some someone is in regards to financials and, you know, what's their passion and how does that line up with market opportunity? And 
we at Hera Hub have a lot of programs to help folks, you know, once they're getting ready to launch their business or they're launching um, or growing, but to really help somebody in that ideation phase can be, um, you know, can be challenging. And so, that's why with the book, I not only wanted to share my own experience uh, as an, an entrepreneur and my entrepreneurial journey, if you will, but I share advice and also exercises from women who have been down this path and uh, really can encourage the reader to look at the various aspects of their life as it relates to um, launching and becoming an entrepreneur. So that includes mindset and overcoming fears and helping identify what someone's passion is and their strengths and helping them set the vision for the future. Um, and then last but not least, I wanted to give somebody a roadmap um, because it's great if you have an idea, but how do you actually get it off the ground? So I put together a 17-step foundational process called Steps to Startup, which is an online platform, stepstostartup.com, that the reader then can walk step-by-step step through these 17 steps to get their business launched and off the ground. Okay. So we'll talk about what those 17 steps are, but um, in the course of reading the book, I noticed the lean out segment and you had a lot of stories about women, you know, who overcame a lot of obstacles. And um, I think one of the ones that really stood out to me was the Debbie Eubanks story, mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. she started the wellness center, lost, you know, she had everything that you could call a success early in life. She had the appearance of success, but she was still feeling unfulfilled, you know, ended up losing the business, losing her home. And then, you know what? She goes back, basically goes through a transformative process and reinvents herself and starts on the journey again and comes out better and stronger. So why why did you decide to include, and there are so many others, like um, the Rainwater story and a bunch of others, but those are the two that come to my head now. So, But why did you decide to share as much space as you did highlighting those stories and what um, these women went through? Yeah, because I think it's important. I wanted to share the voice of others um, in the book, the different perspectives, if you will, because I really wanted to make sure the reader could relate to, you know, one of these stories. Um, and that's how we learn, right? We yeah. connect with other people and we say, you know what, I, I've been there before. And, and I, you know, knowing that you're not alone in this path. And that's, and that's such an important thing with entrepreneurship, because so many people are launching businesses now, which is amazing and so mm -hmm. exciting. But I meet so many people who are doing it in isolation. They're they're really just, you know, they're in their spare bedroom or at their dining room table and they're, you know, plotting and planning and, you know, building, but um, are feeling lonely, especially if they've come out of a larger, you know, environment, so to speak, where they worked for somebody else and, you know, so on. So, being able to um, share the perspective of others, but also, you know, I don't claim to be the expert in mindset or how to find your passion or how to identify your strengths. And so I brought in folks that are experts in that area to contribute to the book. Mm, nice. And as you mentioned mindset, that reminded me, there was a quote you had in the book. Ooh, I made a note of it here. I'm trying to find it. Oh, boy. Okay, I think this is it. It says um, that the key to success rests on your ability to control your thoughts and master your psychology. Now, could you elaborate on what you mean by this? Yeah, this is a really, really important one. Um, and again, I'm going to just point out a little bit. Uh, I work with mostly female entrepreneurs. And mm -hmm. so that's, um, I'm coming to it from that perspective. And perhaps gentlemen have uh, some of these same challenges as well. But women in particular, I have found um, live in her head a lot. Uh, I think <laughs> and we, we, I also, think we all do. <laughs> I, I know, I know. But uh <laughs> But women, again, the, the women that I know um, who are living in their head, and I, I sometimes go there as well, um, we tend to replay things. Yeah. <laughs> 
uh, marinate on things. We're not um, always quick to move on um, in regards to a comment that was made or something that happened and how we handled it. Um, I've known women to, you know, get stuck on something for years. Um, (laughs) and, you know, as an entrepreneur, you, you have to be nimble. You have to move fast. You have to be able to say, you know what, that happened. Okay, let's move on. I need to forget about it and, and create the mind space to really focus on where I am now and where I'm going in the future. Um, the other thing in regards to mindset too, is entrepreneurship is risky. Um, there, there is risk in it, right? I mean, I could parallel that with though, you know, gosh, I, got laid off three times, four times, if you count the Mexican mafia thing, that's also very risky, right? But, um, but with that, I mean, yes, there is some inherent risk. You oftentimes are putting up money or, you know, opting out of a paid job to launch something and you have to be in a mindset that says it's okay. It's okay to take that risk. It's okay to, you know, think about things differently and to just go for it. And women tend to be a little more risk adverse than men are just inherently, if you will. And so creating that opportunity to say, let's go for it and finding community through that process is so important. Mm. And could you state some practical ways people can change or improve your mindset? if they're feeling maybe frustrated or depressed or just stuck in their head with all the head trash and all the nonsense? Yeah. I mean, it's different for everybody, but you, you know, you've got to find a way to move on. You have to find a way to put yourself in a positive environment. And, and that's for us, that's hair hub. I mean, I talk to women all the time that, you know, they've been working at home for years trying to build something and it wasn't until they came in and they saw, you know, and experienced kind of the energy of others building and growing and helping each other and, and coming together, so to speak, that they were able to step out of that old way of thinking. So my number one piece of advice is just surround yourself with the right people, people that are positive. Um, and I talk about this in the book a little bit as well. Um, I, I call it keep doubters at bay. You know, when you're trying to launch or grow or whatever it is, there are always going to be people in your life. Sometimes it, Sadly, it could even be a spouse or a parent or somebody close to you, right? That says, yeah, that says, are you crazy? You're going to leave your seven-figure job to do what? You know, (laughs) and that can really, um, if somebody's not in the right headspace, the right mindset, um, that can kind of shake them and shake their confidence. And what I like to say is people are going to say all kinds of things. You need to have solid boundaries to understand that they're probably just projecting their fear on you, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is okay. Just note it and keep moving on. Folks are going to say all kinds of things about you and your idea, and you have to build a bit of a shield around you when you're launching and growing a business. Oh, nice. Nice. I like that for sure. And on the attitudinal side, you also mentioned something about hiring for attitude and then training for skill. Now, why is that an important principle for an entrepreneur or business owner? Well, it just stems from my experience of what's worked and what hasn't. And uh, there's a lot of folks out there that have that same philosophy. Um, I, I truly believe that, you know, we all have an aptitude to learn, you know, almost anything. I I, I don't think at this point I'm going to become, you know, a civil engineer or something, you know, complex like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, especially for my business, this isn't uh, a highly technical business, if you will. Um, it's a people business. Uh, so the folks that are running uh, each of the locations or helping with even operations, they're in a business to support others in building and growing their dream business. And so the attitude piece is is everything for me. It's how somebody interacts with uh, someone new, you know, how excited are they to be at work every day? Beyond that, I can, I can teach anything, but I can't take somebody who doesn't have the right attitude and build, build that attitude into them, so to speak. Yeah. Because I mean, it really kind of has to come from within. If not, they'll end up like poisoning the whole environment and, if you're trying to build something significant of lasting 
value and importance. You can't have um, negative people come in despite how good they are at um, what they see they, they can. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So does, so does that mean um, like entrepreneurs and small business owners shouldn't look at resumes anymore? Well, it's funny you say that because almost, I mean, truly, I don't, just as a side note, I, I, I never look at a resume. I always look at somebody's LinkedIn profile because you can glean so much more about them from that. Really? Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, somebody sends me a resume. I don't even look at it. I just go and search for them and see what's out there and see how they're articulating themselves online and so on. But um, yeah, I can tell, and most people can within seconds of talking to somebody, if they, if they have the right attitude, are they excited? Yeah. You know, are they excited about life? They don't, you know, ideally it's great if they're excited about my business, but just even in general, are they a passionate person? Are they excited about life in general? Um, it, it's just, it's so, so critical. So yeah, I mean, I glance through LinkedIn and, and, you know, see about their background, but I'm also, I love recruiting through LinkedIn. I love actually my, one of my most recent hires, uh, my operations coordinator, her name's Tony. And I just was searching through LinkedIn, looking for particular attributes and I reached out to her and it just, it worked perfectly. Um, so Hiring is probably one of the most challenging pieces of entrepreneurship, I will say, because most entrepreneurs aren't managers. I know I'm not, right? I'm an mm -hmm. entrepreneur. I want to build things. I don't want to manage people. So I'm also looking for a team that has that entrepreneurial spirit as well. Hmm. And it's quite funny that you said you go through LinkedIn because this is the first time I've kind of had heard that um, articulated in this way that people go on LinkedIn just looking for particular type of person so that really means that your online profile as it were whatever is on the internet is super important these days compared to somebody trying to email you a piece of paper that says they graduate summer cum laude from wherever absolutely yeah i could care less about <laughs> summa cum laude from wherever honestly and and that's, you know, I mean, don't get me started. That's a whole nother topic in regards to where we're at in education and mm. why education is not serving the world we live in now. But uh, we'll leave that for another time. <laughs> yeah. As we start to wrap up and wind down, I just want to ask you some, you know, kind of flow questions because I think we've really covered a lot here. And of course, if people want to to learn more about what you've said, you get the book, um, Flight Club. Which is uh, an interesting name. I love the cover already, but um, Flight Club kind of reminds me of you know that old movie with um, what's his name, Brad Pitt. Yes, that's right, Brad. Yes, Brad Pitt. it's it's a play. It's a play <laughs> on the movie title, Fight Club. Yeah, so taking flight as an entrepreneur and then paying homage to my entrepreneurial uh, roots, selling peacock feathers, but also important to note. Mm. So Hera or Hera, if you're in Greece, is the Greek goddess of women. And her symbol was the male peacock feather because really? she had big, beautiful eyes and was very watchful over women, guarding and protecting them through every stage of life. And so when I chose the name Hera Hub, because of that, um, it was kind of that full circle moment for me. And uh, playing off the movie, you know, Fight Club being the premise where Ed Norton, the character uh, in the movie, is feeling stuck in his gray cubicle and longs to break out and, you know, experience life, you know, be part of something bigger. Um, and so that's that's the reasoning for the uh, book title. Yeah, and... Um... A lot of people are kind of stuck in that cubicle, you know, they're, they're depressed, they have to get up, go to work, pay bills, but they they long for something more. At least I know I've, I felt that and I had a bunch of friends that I used to work with that felt that every day. So for someone like that, in that kind of a situation, um, what's your advice to that person? How do they try and start, um, um, you know, getting ready to fly, as it were? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, that's that's different answer for a lot of different situations, but the typical kind of path that I suggest to somebody is 
really look at where their strengths and market opportunity come together. Um, and that's that's why I put some of those exercises in the book is to help somebody figure that out. Because as an entrepreneur, you're going to work at least twice as hard than you did as an employee. And so you really should <laughs> choose something that you uh, have a strong interest in because you are going to be doing it constantly <laughs> as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, and then the other piece of advice I give is, uh, you know, side launch, test it, right? Um, do do something at night or on the weekends to kind of prove your idea and build some traction before you decide to finally lean out. And then when you do lean out um, and through that process, again, as I've said several times, find a community, find folks to support you through that process. Mm. And... Uh... Who's an entrepreneur you admire and why do you admire her? So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, somebody I attribute uh, a lot to in regards to my growth um, is a woman by the name of Linda Lattimore. She's an attorney yeah. um, and started the group Women's Global Network, which I started out um, on her board and then ended up running the organization in Southern California for a few years um, and just learned so much from her in regards to leadership and building community. Um, and she's the one that really inspired me to take that first step into a leadership role within an organization. And so uh, still in touch with her today and uh, still very much admire what she is doing. She's uh, stepping into the world of um, corporate social responsibility and teaching social uh, responsibility within corporations um, through an online platform now. And so uh, I'm excited to continue to be on the path with her as a female entrepreneur. Nice, nice. And um, there's a follow-up question. There's a follow-up question I had for... Oh, my gosh, it just escaped me. Anyway, I'll... <laughs> 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 just hit when that happens. <laughs> yes, I understand. Okay. Uh, all right, so I'll move right along. I'll try to remember. But um, if you were to start again, uh, based on your experience and your knowledge that you have right now, what would you do differently if you had the opportunity to go back in time to start all over again? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I would say, honestly, I probably would have gone a little more quickly. Um, I probably would have exited corporate sooner, um, but at the time wasn't in a financial position in regards to where I was with my my spouse, the artist, uh, that I felt comfortable to do that. But in hindsight, I look at so many um, folks just coming out right out of college, you know, early 20s that are going straight into launching their own business. And of course, the world has changed in regards to technology and the ease of doing that and building a business um, in a virtual fashion mm -hmm. than it was when I stepped out of college. But probably would have would have gone for it a few years earlier. I'll say that. Oh, okay, but um, as we are right now, I think I read a report that said um, in about what five, ten years, maybe a chunk or a good majority of the people working in corporate will be independent contractors. So people, yes. big companies like KPMG and PwC are looking to hire independent contractors, so they don't want people coming in the office. But I also read yes. yesterday that IBM is actually recalling their remote workers back into the office. But the whole, with the whole sharing economy thing, I, I know the the main trend is for everybody to be out there. So what are some of the things you think a young grad in college right now, um, maybe just graduated um, last month, which is May, can do to set themselves up for success, given that things are basically going to be left to that person to carve out a future for themselves? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I think just 
to your comment there with IBM, I think that's such an old way of thinking. And, and I guess maybe it would just point to how long they've been in business and perhaps um, lack of innovation recently. But um, yeah, I mean, right now, 33% of the knowledge-based workforce is independent. Folks are saying that will be 50% or more by 2020 in just mm-hmm. a few years. So uh, recent college grads have to think like an entrepreneur. They have to be scrappy. They have to be innovative. They have to be resilient. Um, they are going to get bounced around throughout their career and probably have, you know, three, four different career paths um, in their lifetime. And so that's where I think education is falling down as we're not teaching um students. We're not teaching the next generation how to think like an entrepreneur in a lot of mm. cases. Um, and so a lot needs to be done in that regard to do that. But um, get out there. And I even say to folks, I get people coming to me all the time that are thinking about going back to school and getting an MBA. And I tell them not to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because I can say with certainty, I have a MBA myself, and although I enjoyed the experience, I uh, don't recommend it for folks now in regards to it's not going to help you launch a business. Nothing they taught me in my MBA program had anything really to do with entrepreneurship. And so um, really just getting out there and going to, I I tell folks, go volunteer to work for a startup for six months. You'll be in a heck of a lot better financial position Mm -hmm. (laughs) than you would trying to shell out 50 or a hundred grand for an MBA program. So just experience it, go do it, be willing to be scrappy and know that you know, you can only rely on yourself and you need to take care of yourself. No one's going to do it for you. Yeah. Like I keep telling some people that ask me for advice that there's, there's, there's nobody that's going to come and say, there's no Superman coming to save you. <laughs> exactly. You can't exactly. rely on mommy and daddy. Mommy and daddy still have um, the knowledge and the experience they gained from many years ago. And believe me, that experience compared to what happens now, education and technology things change within six months things have changed so you can't rely on outdated methods of thinking especially with um, education getting an mba mba like you said i i tell a lot of people it's a gross waste of time to do that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> i'd rather go work in asia with a startup or do something entrepreneurial or just intern and then learn some things on the job and then if i need to learn more you know, take a class on Udemy or one of the online learning platforms and just upgrade your knowledge as you go for way cheaper than getting in debt for 100, 200K for an MBA. So, exactly. Yeah, that's my little soapbox. Sorry. <laughs> no, mine too. We're on the same soapbox. <laughs> yeah. And so, my final question for the day um, what's a couple, you know, uh, books, tapes, messages uh, that have been inspirational and valuable to you on your journey that you can recommend for people to take a to look at? Yeah, so many podcasts that I just absolutely love, um, and yours included, of course. Um, I also enjoy um, a podcast called Innovation Hub because it uh, really helps me think about things differently and explore ideas that I wouldn't typically explore on my own. Um, and book-wise, there are two books that I recommend, one uh, both to, to men and women, but the book is about women in particular. It's called The Confidence Code, mm. and it really dives into some of the challenges women have and why they may have those challenges around confidence, um, and that really does apply to entrepreneurship and, and risk-taking and some of the things that we talked about And then the other one is an older book called Ready, Fire, Aim, and uh, that's by Michael Masterson, and that book taught me a lot in regards to just go. (laughs) It's not going to be perfect. (laughs) Get it out there and then, you know, tweak it. The lean business model is, uh, you know, certainly tied into that as well as a more recent example, but I, I really enjoyed that book. Great, great, and I'll link to those two resources on 
the show notes as well as the podcast you mentioned. And um, for people that are listening and they want to learn more about you and get the book and um, basically keep in contact with you. So tell us where we can find the book and how we can learn more about you and what you're doing at Hara Hub. Yes. So the book can be found on Amazon. It can uh, probably the simplest thing is to search for me with just my first name, F-E-L-E-N-A. Uh, and uh, the website for the business is Hera, H-E-R-A-H-U-B.com, herahub.com. And uh, find me on Twitter. I'm a big fan of Twitter. I love the brevity. And uh, so feel free to follow on Twitter. I promise to uh, connect back with you. Great, great. And with that said, we've reached the end of the show. I really want to thank you for spending the hour telling us a little bit about yourself, your background, your entrepreneurial journey thus far. We wish you lots of success. And I know that... um, we mentioned it earlier in the pre-call that you're currently working on your seventh and eighth uh, Hera Hub expansion. So let's talk a little bit about that. I beg your pardon. I know I said it's the last question, but... <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Well, you said um, the business model of Hera Hub is based on a licensing model, correct? Yes, it's a licensing model. So if someone uh, so is thinking about working with you and getting Hera Hub in their neck of the woods, how would they go about doing that? Sure. So there is information about that expansion model um, on the herahub.com website. Uh, so a licensing model is really allows somebody to take the brand and the system and the model and the process and software and everything we built as far as education and space over the last six years and build that same community for the people in their city, build a strong platform for female entrepreneurship and the the awesome smart men that want to come along on the ride with us as well. <laughs> um, and so the licensing model allows somebody to, you know, build their own business, but with the support and a framework that's already been developed. So it's definitely a unique opportunity to then connect their city, the women and men in their city with entrepreneurs around the world. So we're in Washington, D.C., Phoenix, Southern California and Stockholm, Sweden, and now working on several other markets uh, to build new locations. And if somebody's interested in learning more, again, just go to herahub.com and click on the expansion link. Great. And with that said, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Felina Hansen. I wish you continued success in your journey and all your future endeavors. And we look forward to hearing from you in the not-too-distant future where we hear Hara Hub is probably in 100 cities with like 300 different locations and all, all that good <laughs> stuff. I love it. Awesome. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Don't let another minute go by without taking action to change your life. Visit Ordeshi.com right now for more incredible resources. And we'll see you next time on Ordeshi, the Bulletproof Entrepreneur.